And he knows how much we need. And he knows when we need it. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. God's never been late for one meeting. He's never given anybody not enough. Think about it. He's never given anybody not enough. He's surely not going to start with you. If we don't have enough, it's because we're not going before him. His supply is not the problem. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. We ask, Father, for your grace. As we open the word, and Lord, we ask that your spirit would work through uh, the service tonight. Lord, I thank you for a people that are willing to follow you. I thank you, Father, for the stirring of the Spirit in the church. Thank you, Lord, for just a heart of worship that the people gathered here tonight have. Lord, you're doing a work in us. You're doing a work in us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the word tonight. I pray that you would anoint it, that you would quicken it, Father, to our soul. I ask, Lord, for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And, Lord, we all ask for that anointing to hear and receive all that you have for us tonight. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, hallelujah. You know, I was praying, and as we were worshiping, and the Lord just kind of changed the direction of this message. So uh, we're going to follow the Lord, which is important to do. One of the things that that we were talking about earlier is the strength that God has for us. And that, that God is the strength of our life. And when you begin to lean on your own flesh and you begin to operate in your own ability, your strength is small. Your flesh don't have much strength. Come on now. Your, your flesh don't have much strength. It, the, if, if you're going to withstand in an evil day, if you're going to withstand in a day of adversity, it's only going to be because of the Spirit of God at work in you. That's it. It's not your own ability. You can't, look, you cannot get enough guidance from Dr. Phil to stand in the day of adversity because the devil don't care about what Dr. Phil says. The devil don't care about what Oprah says. The devil don't care about chicken noodle soup for the soul. There's only one thing that will cause you to stand on the day of adversity, and it is God Almighty. It is the mighty God that we serve. He, listen, he gets down to the root of the matter. He gets down into that, into the soul. He can divide soul and spirit. And that word of God can sustain you, come on, in the darkest of nights. When everybody else turns against you, when everybody else neglects you, when everybody else forgets you, God can cause you to stand. God can give you strength in your weakest moment and cause you to stand and triumph over every single enemy that has come against you in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus. He will cause you to stand. But if you don't operate in the spirit of God, if you don't operate in victory, if you don't operate in Jesus name. Or better yet, if you're like those sons of Sceva, you know the right name, but you don't have a connection to that name. You can talk the talk. But the devil going to see right through it. He going to see right through your, 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 your Jesus on the outside, but Oprah on the inside. No sons of Sceva got turned inside out because of that. I believe God wants us to get this word. There's something God wants you to get because you're going to need strength that comes from above. You need strength that comes from above. Worldly wisdom will not help you. Job's friends, they if you read the book of Job, it gets exhausting trying to listen to them tell Job about why he was going through his stuff. They exhausted all the worldly wisdom they had. They were throwing the kitchen sink against the wall trying to help Job out, but it wasn't the words of men that Job needed. Nothing changed in Job's life until he heard from God. When he heard from God, everything began to make sense. 
And, you know, we can pontificate and we can give out the cliches and you can watch YouTube and you can watch Facebook. But until you get alone with God and get a word from God for your soul, all you're doing is following men. The greatest job a preacher can do is take you by the hand and lead you to a cross. Because you, you have to go there. You have to get to that place. You have to get that word. You see, you can't live off of someone else's spiritual food. It said, of, it, it said whenever they first began to have running water in hotels, it was throwing some people off. One story I remember reading about a missionary, they, they brought in some of their uh, people from a foreign land that never knew what running water was. They never knew what running water was. And they went in that hotel, and he was showing them, you just turn this faucet and water comes out. That's all you got to do. Just turn the faucet, water comes out. You turn it off, it stops. Turn it on, it keeps going. And I mean, they played with it the whole time they were in the hotel. They just couldn't get enough of it. And you know what? When it was time to check out and go home, they tried to pry that handle off because they wanted to take that handle with them. They couldn't understand where the water was coming from. The water was coming from a deeper source than the handle. Come on now. The water was coming from a deeper source than the handle, but they couldn't figure that out, and they wanted to take the handle with them. But it wasn't the handle that they needed. It was those pipes that went way down into the earth that tapped into the water. And you see, a lot of people, a lot of people are carrying around a water faucet handle from an experience they had 15 years ago. A lot of people are carrying around a, a handle to a water faucet from an experience of yesterday, last season, two seasons ago, the good season back then. Can I tell you something? God, he said, if you believe upon him, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And it doesn't matter what season you're in. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. He said, if you believe upon him, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That which you need that doesn't come from you, it flows from the throne of God. And it comes through the cross, through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you believe upon him, he shall shall supply what you need. Not Dr. Phil, not Miss Oprah, not chicken noodle soup for the soul, but your God who is in heaven that loves you and he knows exactly what you need. He knows what you need. Amen? He knows what you need. You know, sometimes we go through issues in life and we don't know what somebody needs. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you think somebody needs this or they might need that. You don't know what they need. You don't know. But can I tell you something? God knows exactly what you need. I'll never forget trying to hide something from my mom. My mom was my best friend, and I couldn't hide nothing from my mom. This woman knew me inside and out. She knew when I wasn't telling the truth. She knew when I was trying to hide something. She said, no, you better tell me the real story. You better tell me really what's going on. And she knew that I needed to open up. She knew it. She knew that I needed to open up and get something off my chest. She knew I needed to take it out. I was holding on to something that I shouldn't be holding on to. She knew it. And she wouldn't let me get it. My mom was one of those. She would pick and pick until she hit it. Some of y'all need to be like that with God. You need to say, Lord, I'm not there yet. Lord, I'm not there yet. I don't have those living waters yet. Lord, I don't have that living water yet. Lord, it's not flowing yet. I don't have that peace of God yet. I don't have that anointing yet. I don't have the fire of God yet. Lord, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And let the Lord put his finger on the issue. He knows exactly what the issue is, and he will put his finger on it if you'll come before him. He'll say, no, you haven't got it out yet. 
You haven't got it out yet. Get back on your face. Get back on your face. You have not confessed what God wants you to confess yet. You have not gotten it out yet. You have not gotten it out yet. Let the Holy Spirit get to that place to where he can put his hand on the issue. It could be fear. It could be lack of faith. It could be doubt. It could be complacency. It could be idolatry. It could be any number of things, but your God knows. Amen. When he sees you, he don't just see the outer. He knows the inner. He made the inner. He weaved you with his word. It was his word that weaved you together. Your life is sustained by your maker, and he knows when there's an issue on the inside of you. Amen. And he knows what you need. Amen. I thank God for a guy like that. I thank God. He truly is a comforter and a counselor. He surely is the one that guides us. He truly is our shepherd. He knows what you need. But you know, sometimes we're satisfied with living off of that water faucet that we took out of that hotel 15 years ago. Some of us, we felt the power of God before. But I want you to know the same God that, that touched you back then is the same God that's alive today. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. And just like the story with this guy, this missionary that brought his friends to the hotel, they didn't know what running water was. In the same way, those pipes are the same. All you got to do is just turn that faucet on. And that living water will begin to flow. Psalm 27, verse 11. Well, let's start, let's, let's start with verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. It shows you that worldly folks, even those close to you, will sometimes fail you. Putting confidence in men is a faulty thing. Worst thing you can do is put your confidence in a man. What you do is you put your confidence in the God in the person. Because people will fail you, but God will never fail you. People flame out. One pastor I, I, I know, he used to tell me, uh, you know, at his church, he said, people will blow in, blow up, and blow out. But the faithful keep going. But the faithful keep going. Sometimes people will blow in and they'll blow up and then they'll blow out. But God wants to sustain you through the whole thing. But there are times that our father and mother will forsake us. It's just uh, a, a word about those closest to you. The sad reality is those closest to you can hurt you the worst. They can inflict through a word, a wound that only God can heal. He will heal it, but it hurts, and you're going to have to bring it to him. You can't hide it. You can't limp, you can't limp off a wound like that to the soul. You're going to have to bring that to the maker. Some people are carrying around baggage and wounds from years ago, and it's keeping them back from being the men and women of God he's called them to be. God makes whole people. He makes holy people, but he makes whole people. And you may have gone through some things in your past, but our God's a healer. Our God's a healer. And he can heal. He can heal that wound of the soul. It says in verse 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord. And lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me 
and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This corresponds with the scripture we looked at in the book of Proverbs this morning that You know, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Fainting comes by leaning on the arm of the flesh. And here, David here is saying, I would have fainted if unless I had believed to see God's goodness in the land of the living. In other words, I am standing on the promises of God. I know that God is not going to allow the enemy to win. I know that God will supply my need. I know that God will pour out his spirit upon those that love him, that trust him, that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. David here is saying, I don't know how I could have done this, how I could have gotten through this situation. In the natural person, I would have fainted, except I had an expectation to know that God was going to come through. I had an expectation to know that God was going to come through. You know, we're studying the book of Revelation on our Wednesday nights, and I love Brother Free was telling me today he he finished Revelation in his personal reading. I said, well, when you finished it, did we win in the end? And he said, yep, we won in the end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know what? Unless I believe that, I would be giving up right now. I would be saying, oh, you know, Bill Gates and George Soros and inflation and Russia and Ukraine and China. And I I, I would be, you know, we would just be just running around like chickens with our head cut off. But you know what? My hope's not in this world. My hope is in the God of this world. I know that in the end, my God's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron from the seat of David in Jerusalem and every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. That's what I know. That's what I know. And I would faint except I believe to see God's goodness in this land. I would faint. You see, in the natural, we would be keeping our focus on Fox News or CNN or our 401k that's evaporating or our grocery bill that's shrinking or exploding, however you want to look at it. But if we look at those things in the natural, your natural situation, the natural man will faint. That's exactly what we looked at earlier. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I can testify right now, my strength is small. God's strength in me is large. Enough. My strength is small. In the flesh, I'll give out. I'll tap out. I'll walk back, shrink back, draw back. But it's when I come before God that something changes. You see, it's, it's not a work of me that's needed to sustain this thing. It's not, like, we, like the Lord said, it's not by might and it's not by strength, but it's by His Spirit that this thing's going to be done. And, and He was prophesying that to Zerubbabel. Because he started to rebuild the temple and it wasn't going easy. He, was, he had started to rebuild that, that place where God was going to dwell. And sometimes, you know, when you begin to dig down those wells again, when you begin to restore where God dwells again, sometimes it's not easy. But God's in it. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Now, I said I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, listen to verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Sometimes you get get in church and sometimes people are like, man, they singing that song for the fifth time. We waiting on God. Why are we going to sing just to hear ourselves sing? We want to we want to sing until we know we touch God's heart. The same thing with prayer. Why are you going to time yourself on prayer? Why don't you pray until you know you touch God's heart? The same thing with the Word of God. Why do you just read two chapters? 
Why don't you read until you know you touch God's heart? Even if it just comes after two verses. What we do should be done so that God be glorified. Wait on the Lord. I'm not going to put a presupposition on God. I prayed for five minutes. I read two chapters and I sang two verses out of hymn 104. And God wasn't in it. You see, sometimes we have to wait on God. And when, when, how many of you know God will wait you out? Like if you're not willing to get this down, there's some things you're just not going to walk in as a man or woman of God. If you think you're going to be a spirit-filled man or woman of God, that you're going to be able to walk in victory in this world right now and not wait on God, you've got another thing coming. God will wait you out. I'll tell you like this, he loves you too much to not wait you out. The reason that God calls us to wait upon him is because it, it brings our flesh to zero. It brings our flesh to zero. And God's not going to have a rival. God's not going to allow you to have still some flesh left and walk in victory. If you're going to experience God's victory in your life, it's going to be because you waited on God and your flesh went to zero. You might say, well, why is God taking so long? He's waiting you out. He will. He's got all the time in the world on his hands. He created time. We're the one that the clock's ticking on. We're the one that's going to run out of time if we don't wait on God. Come on now. Sometimes the quickest thing you can do is wait on God. Think about that. If you won't wait on God, God will wait you out. He said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait, don't faint. If, 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 if you don't wait, you will faint. But God said, wait on me, wait on me, and you won't faint. He will strengthen. What is he going to strengthen? He's going to strengthen your heart. He's going to strengthen you where Dr. Phil and Oprah can't touch. He's going to strengthen you, not emotionally. He's not going to entertain you or emotionalize you. He's going to strengthen your heart. He's going to give you an ability to stand when everyone else turns against you. Like David said, even if my father and mother forsake me, God's going to be with me. God's going to be with me. Even if all those that I love turn against me, even if everything begins to turn wrong, I know God's going to be with me. And I know that if I wait on him, even though I may not be feeling right, even though I may not be feeling it, even though I may not appreciate this and, and like that, I know that if I wait on him, he's going to bring strength to my heart. I know he's going to bring strength to my heart. You know what we got in the church world today? We got some faint-hearted Christians. Because when the first sign of opposition comes, they run for the hills. Or, on the other hand, when the first sign of prosperity comes, they run for the hills. But God's looking for people that will put him first. As Job said. As Job said. Job wanted to bless God. God gives and God takes away. But still my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, God's looking for those kind of folks. God may give you some things. He may take some things away. But if you have a heart like Job, you'll say, you know what, Lord? You can give and you can take away but I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's looking for this kind of people. God's looking for a people that will wait on him. And if you'll wait on him, he will strengthen your heart. 
Turn, turn with me to Romans chapter 8 real quick. Romans chapter 8. God knows what you need. See, the, the, the waiting is not because God's, you know, spending time getting ready. I had, a, I had a family member one time that whenever you went to their house, he would knock on the door. They wouldn't even let you in until they put their face on. Until they, they, they had to get ready. And you might have to stand outside for five, ten minutes while they was getting ready. Well, you know, whenever you pray and you wait on God, it's not because God's getting ready. Come on now. It's not because God's busy putting on his boots and fixing his hair. He's not getting ready. He's getting you ready. He calls you to wait on him because he's doing something in you. He's doing something in you. God loves you. He doesn't want you to go through this life like a Pharisee. God loves you. He doesn't want you to be some robot dotting every I and crossing every T and not having a heart for him. Not having the anointing of God on your life, not knowing him. God loves you too much than to just let you walk through this life like a Pharisee. Jesus spent more time with the Pharisees than anybody. It wasn't because he was being mean. It was because he was trying to break their pride. He loved the Pharisees. Tell me one sinner that Christ didn't die for. Don't be a Calvinist. God loves you. He loves you. And he wants to do something in you. And he said, if you'll wait on me, I'll strengthen you. Because there's things that have to be dealt with. There's things God has to put his hand on. And I told you about my mom. And I know God is way better at this than my mom was. But when I told my mom I was all right, she knew I wasn't. And I told you she would pick and pick and pick until I finally got it out. We weren't going nowhere or doing nothing until she got to the root of the issue that she knew was bothering me. Well, you know, some of us in here tonight, some of us have plateaued. Some of us have plateaued. Some of us have gotten to a place with God and we're not going any further until God's able to deal with some things. Until God's able to deal with some things. Well, you, and you might say, well, pastor, I, you know, I'm, I'm walking in the light. I'm doing this. I'm do-. Well, that's fine. But God just knows what you need. You don't. There could be things that you're harboring from the past. It could be something up ahead. But God needs to deal with some things. A lot of times, whenever God begins to do a work in you, he's preparing you for what's ahead. God knows the battles you're going to face tomorrow, and he knows the strength you need in preparation. But if you're not willing to wait on God and let him touch the issue and supply your need, you're going to face a semi-truck head on. God knows exactly what you need. God gave us a word on Friday night that that. The enemy, like, a, a, like an alligator, is right there. He said, when, when you realize the enemy's there, it's too late. You need to be forewarned. You need the Spirit of God working, bringing you into forewarning. You need God to do a work in you on the front side of the battle. See, when David faced Goliath, he had already had on the front side of that a time with other things. He had already known that when an enemy came after his sheep, if he took a sling and a stone or took his hands to that enemy, he would win. 
God had to do some things on the front side of that in David so that when he came up in front of the enemy, he knew what to do. And I want you to know, God knows the battles you're up against right now. He knows the battles you're going to be up against tomorrow. And he's calling on you to wait on him, to wait on him so that he can supply the strength of your soul. But, you know, some people, they just won't be led of God. You know, that some people you can preach, you can preach, you can preach, you know. I mean, you can preach and preach and preach and preach. But some people are just unwilling to follow Jesus. I know when God begins to deal with something in a church. When God starts putting his finger on an issue. And he won't let it go. He won't let it go. Because God loves you. Because God loves you. It says, look at verse 13, Romans 8, verse 13. I want you to think about something. Will you be one of those that follows the Lord? Let's read verse 13. It says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body... You shall live for as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I want to tell you in the scripture, I want to. Just begin to share a few things with you out of this. But first and foremost, the way that you know that you are a son or a daughter of God is that you're led by his spirit. Being led by his spirit means you'll follow where he leads. Jesus said, my sheep. Right? Hear my voice. He said he knows them. They hear his voice and they follow. If you're a child of God, it it means that you you know the master's voice. And some of us, we've gone so long without hearing the master's voice. We've, We've drawn back. We've allowed issues of life to build up. And God said, I'm not satisfied with this situation. I'm not satisfied with this situation. You're my child. You're my sheep. You need my voice. Now you come, you wait on me until I strengthen your heart. Many people are unwilling to be led. They will lead themselves to perdition. They will lead themselves in pride to perdition. Some people, you can't tell them nothing that their flesh don't want to hear. Well, I can tell you this, your flesh don't want to hear none of this. You can pick and choose what you want, like a false teacher would. You can pick apart the Word of God, like Satan does. But it's when you're willing to take the whole counsel of the whole Word of God as a whole and let God do a whole work in you, lacking nothing, that you're a true son or daughter of God. And then and only then does the Spirit of God work in you to the point to where you cry out, Abba, Father, Adonai, El Shaddai, Lord God Most High, the one in whom I love. Abba, Father, is that term of endearment that comes through the relationship that I want to touch on. Abba, Father, comes from a position of relationship. Before Jesus came onto the scene, nobody called God Abba, Father. 
But he showed a side of God that no one knew. He revealed to us a side none knew. I want to just point out in verse 13. It says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. That's what Pharisees do. I told you earlier, Pharisees, someone, they look holy on the outside. A lot of people in the church, they don't even care about holiness anymore. Some people care about holiness, but they only care about the outside. God's not impressed. God's looking for a holy heart. Holiness of heart can't be bought with silver or gold. You can go to J.C. Penney's and buy some, buy something, or you can go to the Bible bookstore and buy something, but that don't give you holiness. Holiness comes from the heart. Holiness of heart cannot be bought. The Pharisees, Jesus said, they were beautiful on the outside. They were whitewashed sepulchers, tombs. Full of dead men's bones, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of corruption. Don't, set, don't settle for being holy on the outside. Wait on God till he changes you on the inside. It says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Listen to this. You need to listen to this. But if you through the Spirit... Do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, that's dealing with the sin in our life. That's dealing with self. I want to point out to you a caveat that's bigger than Texas. It says, if you through the Spirit. See, God's not asking you to deal with your temper and your own strength. God's not asking you to deal with your pride in your own strength. God's not asking you to deal with your addiction in your own strength. God's not asking you to deal with your sin in your own strength. It says if you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body. Through the Spirit means you're bringing it to God. It means you're saying, Lord, there's something in me that's got to go. It means you're coming to the Lord. I want to tell you something. There's only one place on God's green earth, that the flesh lost a battle. There's only one place on God's green earth that flesh was defeated. It wasn't in you. It was on that cross. Jesus defeated flesh. He defeated the power of sin. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated Satan. He defeated everything against you on that cross. The power for victory over your flesh was wrought by Jesus Christ on Calvary. And when he says, if you through the Spirit are called to mortify the deeds of the body, he's calling upon you to put your faith in what he did on that cross for your issue. Up until that moment, all you're doing is playing Dr. Phil and Oprah. All you're doing is counseling an issue that the Holy Ghost has to kill. You can't counsel sin. You can't medicate sin. You can't put a Band-Aid on sin. It has to be defeated, and it was defeated one place, and that was at Calvary. So there are inevitably in all of our lives, there are issues. And God said, through the Spirit, you need to mortify that. Through the Spirit, you need to mortify that. Through the Spirit, you need to mortify that. Ego, pride, temper, drunkenness, adultery, homosexuality. Guilt from your past, bondage in the, in the present, 
fear of the future, it's got to be broken. And it can only be broken by the power of God. It cannot be counseled. It has to be defeated. He said, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. There's no life outside of the Spirit. Notice the connection. There's no life outside of the Spirit. You, 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 you can say all you want to say, but God will not grant spiritual life to someone outside of dependence on the Holy Ghost. When Jesus said, tarry in, until you're endued with power from on high, it was a prescription for power for the church. And so many people are walking around defeated, afflicted, in bondage because they're not waiting on God. Well, I said, I, I, I want to get this point. At the end of that, it says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That speaks of a relationship issue. It speaks of a relational aspect uh, between you and God that has to be there. It has to be there, and God wants it to be there, and God loves you too much than to allow you to go through this life knowing him in the head, but not in the heart. His desire is that you have a changed heart, that you wait on him, and that he strengthens your heart. Turn with me to Matthew 7 in closing. It is a relational issue that God desires. Jesus talked more about false teachers than just about anybody. How many of you know that no false teacher says, hey, I'm a false teacher? They say, hey, I know the Bible. Right? Look at verse 20. He said, wherefore by their fruits, you shall know them. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you just stopped right there, every single one of us should be like those disciples did. You know, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed at the Lord's Supper, he said, one of you is going to betray me. You know what the disciples said? Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? You know, when I read Scripture, when, when Jesus says that, 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 that the, the, the road uh, is narrow, that strikes fear in my heart. When he says, few find it, I wonder just how few. Does he mean hundreds, thousands, millions? When he says few, it, it gets me to my knees. There are certain scriptures that should invoke the fear of God in our lives. You might be saying, Pastor, you're supposed to encourage me. Why don't you talk about the fear of God? The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. I was reading Charles Finney. He said one time he was preaching and he was he was preaching on the the fear of God and how God's going to bring damnation on all the rebels of the earth. And he said people uh, fell out, fell out of the chairs, fell onto the ground and began to cry out because they they, you know, just knew they were going to hell. And he said he did everything he could to try to calm down the room, but they were so given over he couldn't calm them down. But you know, they say of Charles Finney, over 70% of his, his converts never backslid. Because he preached the fire and the fear of God. And then he brought them to the cross. 
they say of Moody, about 40%, uh, 50, almost 50% of his converts backslid. But only about 30% of Finney's. But when I read this verse, it strikes fear. It says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know there's a lot of people that would never call Jesus Lord. You go, go out, pass out tracts, or go preach with us on the street. You'll find out real quick. There's a lot of people that don't like God. So I already know they ain't going to hit that. But there's some people that think they're right with God. It's going to say, Lord, Lord. He said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy, in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It was relational. It wasn't operational. It was relational. We've relied on the operational aspect of the church for too long. And we've denied the relational aspect in our personal lives. And I want to tell you that God loves you. And his desire is your heart. Not, not what you bring to the table, but who you are. Not what you bring to the table, but who you are. He loves you. And he wants you. He wants that relationship with you. He wants you to wait on him because he loves you. If you wait on him, he'll strengthen your heart. But if you don't wait on him, it just means it just shows that you're like these people. Busy. How many of you know there's busybodies in the church? We can be too busy for the Holy Ghost. We can be too busy to be compassionate. We can be too busy to care about folks. We can be too busy to pray for folks. We can be too busy just to stop and say, hey, are you okay? If you need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. But think about it on the terms of God. We can be too busy getting ready for church with our clothes and with our hearts. It was an old song that said, take time to be holy. Y'all remember that song? Take time to be holy. I believe that's what the Lord's wanting us to do. I really and truly believe that the Lord is, is desiring a church that will take time to be holy. Take time to be separate. Take time to come out from among them. Take time to be refired, refilled restored, renewed. God's looking for a church that's willing to set the clock aside. You know, when I first came in the church, the first thing I did after I anointed all the walls and prayed in the Holy Ghost over the whole place, I took that clock down. It don't bother me when people start doing this number. I'll just preach longer. It don't bother me. Leave if you got to. But the, but the reality is, and I'm closing, but the reality is, is God's desire is to do a work in a people. And he's looking for a people that is willing to take time to be holy, that will wait on God and allow God to do what he needs to do in us. He can, he can and he will do what no man can do, no book can do, no Dr. Phil or Oprah can do. He can do it, but we've got to take time to wait on him. And can I tell you something? You can't teach that. You don't get that from man. 
You see, when Paul got saved, he went to the, he went to the Arabian desert. He got alone with Jesus. David learned about how good God was out on the back hills, being a shepherd out alone. Elijah learned more about God's faithfulness when he was, when he was wanting to die and in a cave than when he was the hero of Israel. There's times you've got to pull away and get alone with God. And you see, you can't teach that. That's between you and God. That's between you and God. And what I'm telling you tonight for probably the sixth time is that God loves you and he desires you. And he's calling on you to come before him. Wait. Wait on him. And he will strengthen your heart. David said, I would have fainted unless I believed to see his goodness. You know, can I tell you something before I close? People that aren't waiting on God, they don't truly expect God to show up. They've either, they've either theologized, you know, uh, they've pontificated, they've given over to some philosophy of religion, or they just use their experience and they say, oh, that's not going to do anything. Those that are not willing to come and wait on God and tarry before God, they're not truly expecting a move of God. But if you truly expect and desire and want God to move in you, come Wait on him. He'll supply. Amen. Amen. Lord, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for interrupting our service tonight. I thank you, Father, for changing the message and changing the worship and changing us. Lord, I thank you for your love for us and your desire, Lord, to take us deeper, to do a more full work in us. Lord, we bless you tonight. We love you tonight. And God, we pray that you, would, that you would touch our hearts, that you would renew and restore us. Lord, do, do in our lives, Father, that which you desire. We ask it in Jesus' name. Tonight, we're going to open up our altars, give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If God is dealing with you or you want to just come and just wait on God, or maybe you just need to come confess something to God. Or what I really feel appropriate is just come tell God that you love him and that you want him to work in you. But we're going to open up our altars right now. Father, bless your people as they come, Lord, in Jesus' name.